24-7 AI north of $300 million in ARR flat year over year because they dealt with a cybersecurity kind of a breach issue. But again, well on track now to drive growth. They are profitable, only $20 million raised to date, which is obviously great, taking 10% in free cash to the bottom line, helping to grow that to 20% monthly in terms of profitability here shortly. 10% churn annually on a gross revenue basis, but 10% expansion for 100% net, spending up to call it 12 months of first year contract value to get the customer in the first place as they look to scale with our team of 800, again, in the chat and customer experience space. Hello, everyone. My guest today is P.V. Cannon. He's the co-founder and chief executive officer of 247.ai, a global leader in intent-driven customer engagement. He holds more than 30 patents issued and pending and has been featured in several books as CX thought leader. And his new book, The Age of Intent, is now available on Amazon. P.V., you ready to take us to the top? Yes. <laughs> what the hell is a guy like you doing, uh, wasting his time writing a book? They make no money. They're a lot of work and they just take time. All of them are true, but I think the world deserves to know how the customer service world can be fixed. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, wrong information floating around. And I thought, let me just correct it by writing a book. (laughs) Okay, good. So tell us what the company does. What we do is essentially use uh, artificial intelligence to automate customer service interactions, right? So, you know, the conversations you have with brands, you know, today's on-demand customer wants, you know, resolution right away. They don't want to wait. They don't have patience. And uh, artificial intelligence helps in kind of taking, doing the heavy lifting. Okay, good. And is it pure play SaaS? Yes, it is. Pure SaaS. Okay. Give me a general sense here of sweet spot. Describe like a sweet spot customer for you. A sweet spot customer is, you know, a brand that has millions of consumers where it's really challenging to handle all the inquiries that come in through email, chat, messaging, you know, phone calls and so on and so forth. So anyone who's got, you know, over a million customers and they have to, you know, in a demanding industry, which is service oriented, we are a perfect fit. So I want to get more of your backstory, but give me a kind of a, a general sense here of average, right? So you look across your entire customer base on average, what's company going to pay kind of year one to use your technology? It may on an average 250000 Okay. So you're very much an enterprise sales motion. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. We'll get into that more later. Give me the backstory though. When did you launch? What year? We launched the company in 2000 and it's evolved over a period of time. And my background is my first company in the 90s developed chat as a customer service vehicle, right? And went through the dot-com boom. And then I had an opportunity to visit contact centers, you know, all around the U.S. and was just blown away by a number of people who are servicing, you know, the U.S. economy. So I started asking myself in this new age of digital, is there a better way to do this? You know, because I, what I noticed in the contact centers is chat is still being treated like a phone call, right? They'll say, how can I help you? And then, you know, go through the same script that they did if you were on the phone. But if you think about the 800 number system, it was really designed for the 80s when nothing else existed, right? Today, customers are on web, on apps. They're like well-informed. So the old paradigm of how can I help you is kind of almost obsolete. The new paradigm is you should already know what the customers are doing, leveraging AI in the backend in real time, be able to predict what they're attempting to do, right? And then be, you know, supportive of what they're trying to do online, not like try to do the task for them. And, you know, customers love wanting to control the experience and do it themselves. So, and especially when you talk about 2019, everything is pretty much on demand, right? Music, content, food, name anything, you know, you can just click an app, order and get it. And the only thing that's missing and full of friction is customer service. So this was your beachhead. 2000 is launch date. Help me understand this kind of size today, right? How many customers are you serving actively? 
We're serving over 150 customers. Okay. And the company is roughly about 300 million in revenues. That's great. So did you do this bootstrapped or decide to raise capital? The first uh, round of funding was done by the two founders. That's me and uh, co-founder Nags. And then we did one round of funding with Sequoia in 2003. So Mike Moritz is on our board. So how much total in the company to date? Uh, we raised over 20 million total. You're a breath of fresh air because I get so sick and tired of having folks from the Valley or New York on. It's like, we've raised 180 million and their revenue is like 30 million. I like a founder where their AR to funding ratio is like six, right? Your, your revenue is way more than what you've raised. The question then back at you is, why raise the money at all? It sounds like you're on a rocket ship. Why couldn't you fuel this with customer revenue? You know, it's a good question. We were actually profitable when we raised the money. What I think in Silicon Valley especially is, whether you like it or not, the type of venture firm you partner with kind of sets up your brand, right? So with a thousand companies, startups around, and like you said, now it's even more you know frustrating because you have a thousand companies who are all funded, you know, 100 million, 200 million, and 300 million. So when you're competing, it cannot be that you're only competing with uh, you know salaries and benefits as the only thing. It has to be great, interesting work, and that you belong to you know a venture community where, you know, you're treated special. It's like having the right producer for a movie. So, you know, we viewed that as, uh, you know, edge and talent. And that's why, you know, we have this partnership with Sequoia. And it's been a great partnership, by the way. So I want to dive into that in a second. But PV, one of my numbers here is wrong, right? So if I take 150 customers times that ARPU you gave me earlier of 250, that puts you at 3 million a month. You're doing more like 30 million a month. So where is my math wrong? You ask for a typical customer. So we do have customers who spend 30,000 a month or 30,000 a year, right? And the 250,000 we're talking about is per year, right? Not everyone spends 250, right? So our average is, if you do that, it's about 2 million a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that that's exactly what I was building to, right? So that's how you get to where you're at. Now, back in 2017, you put out a piece on Reuters, right? Rashika published it, Saddam, that basically said you guys saw revenue crossing 400 million in fiscal year 2018. Why'd you miss that? We missed it because we had a you know security breach. So, you know, we had we had to like pause and our sales pipeline essentially vanished. So it took about a year to recover. Now we are like, we, you know, last quarter was uh, our best quarter in the company's history in terms of new revenue bookings. What was new revenue bookings growth, like 10, 20, 30% in the quarter? You know, it's about 20% growth, yeah. Well, I mean, at your scale, that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, I can only think of a couple other private B2B SaaS CEOs with your scale of revenues, right? So Reggie at Cvent comes to mind, and there's maybe only two or three others. Who do you talk to to brainstorm with? The Sequoia portfolio is a very good portfolio. So we have events and other structured, uh, you know, uh, time. And I also spend time with other Sequoia partners, not just Mike Moritz, because they're all helping enterprise companies. So you kind of like, you know, lean on them to get advice and inputs as to, you know, what goes on. And I have my own network of uh, CEOs here that I spend time with. So, you know, like you said, you pick the right person for the right type of problem, because some folks that I talk to are very good with people issues. Some are good with customer issues. Some are good with talent issues, like what kind of talent do you hire? Because, you know, as you grow the company for every stage, you need the right management team and the right people underneath to help scale the company. And we've seen it with whether it's Facebook or Uber, you see that, you know, as it matures, different types of leaders, different types of leadership styles start coming into effect. Mm -hmm. right? What is your team size today? How many folks? The technology side of the company is about 800 people. Okay. Why do you say it like that? Is there another side of the company? We also have a services business. So, you know, one of the secret sauce of what we do is we also employ human agents to teach AI. So, you know, we have a few thousand agents in that category as well. Contractors or FTEs? Both the combination. 
Interesting. Okay. When you look at the kind of the revenue over the past 12 months, what percent was pure SaaS versus some kind of other consultative professional service revenue? Now, you guys have heard me on this show interview a lot of people playing in the e-commerce space, and they are crushing it. In fact, if you guys are following e-commerce as a trend in general, you know that e-commerce brings in over $500 billion in sales each year and is expected to grow to $1 trillion in the next decade. You've got to be selling online. Now, here's the thing. It's very difficult to do this. A lot of these platforms charge expensive transaction fees, which is fine if I'm an investor in the business, but it also means a small business has to pay more money, right? Here's the thing. I found this tool called Volusion, which maybe their business model is not a good one, but it's great for the merchants because the merchants make on average 2x more than on other platforms. That's you, the seller with the e-commerce idea, the physical products you want to sell online. Again, great for you. This is Volusion, the easiest and fastest all-in-one e-commerce platform designed specifically for small businesses. You don't need any coding or design experience to check it out. So come see why Volusion is the number one rated e-commerce platform according to Trustpilot. Get a free 14-day no-risk trial. No credit card required. Visit volusion.com forward slash the top. And as a special for top entrepreneurs listeners, that's all of us, we get 50% off our first month plan with code the top. This is exclusive just for you guys. So get a free 14-day no-risk trial, no credit card required. Visit volusion, that's V-O-L-U-S-I-O-N.com forward slash the top and get 50% off your first, first month's plan with code the top. When you do an analysis on your customer base, where you have put professional services touch on them, do you see significant lift in terms of net revenue retention on those customers you've put that extra touch on? Yeah, I mean, you know, what happens is in that model, you're delivering an actual uh, outcome, right? It's not just you gave some software and walked away. So without a doubt, like what you said is, if that service goes to solve real problems and then achieve real project goals, then without a doubt, uh, the retention, you know, is very high. Have you broken 140% net revenue retention across the base? Not 140, no. What, what can you share where you're at right now? We're at about 100%. About 100%. Okay, so peel that onion back for me. What's gross revenue churn? The churn is about 8 to 10%. Okay, and then expansion is the same to get 100. So that's a bit of a surprise to me, actually, that these ACVs, you typically see expansion revenue being significant to the point where net revenue retention is like 120, 130. Why, why don't you have that pattern in your business? The customer success function, you know, we've, we've actually doubled down recently. So if you have a strong customer success function, that's what drives what you're talking about. So I don't think we paid that much attention in the earlier years. So there's a lot more of investment in making sure every single account that we have is covered as opposed to a coverage model, which was very biased towards the larger customers. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about growing into additional customers, right? So how aggressive are you being with CAC? Will you spend the full, let's say it's a 2 million year one ACV. Will you spend the full 2 million up front to get the customer? We categorize our customers into those who can spend over 10 million a year with us. And then, you know, where, you know, the potential is probably a million or less and maybe less than half a million, right? So the we are much more aggressive in uh, spending a lot more in the greater than 10 million 
right? And a lot more conservative, which is less than half a million. Well, PV, that's like a no shit kind of answer, right? So if I ask on a relative basis, no matter the cohort, are you optimizing for a 12-month payback or an 18-month payback or more aggressive? We are optimizing for a 12-month payback. Okay, and you're at that right now or you're still above that? We are at that. Oh, that's great. Okay, good. And no plans to change that. You, that's a sweet spot for you. You can scale there. I mean, right now we are at that and we hired a new uh, chief revenue officer last year. So his first thing is, let me go get the, you know, things stabilized. We will relook these metrics as, you know, we want to pump up the growth level, then we need to get more aggressive, right? Yeah. Where were you a year ago? We were about uh, the same. Oh, because of the security breach. So let me ask you a question. I mean, uh, you know, a company like Vista just raises $14 billion. They have to figure out how to deploy that money. There's not a lot of companies they can buy, right? Or that's not like a small rounding error to them. You're potentially one of them. I mean, why have you not sold to them for like, you know, five, six billion dollars? That's a good question. I I think, you know, it's it's about what the aspirations of uh, the founders and the management team is. I think, you know, an IPO is more kind of like what uh, the team wants to do and what I would like to do. We've built the company for the long run. So it's not about, you know, get it to some stage and get out. Okay. I mean, obviously, when you talk to Brian or Robert and they they hear you say, I want to IPO, I don't want to do it. They're obviously going to try and convince you of the other direction, right? What are some arguments that they would use to try and convince you to you know join their team? Because by the way, they love companies like yours because of their ability to cross sell your tool into all their other portfolio companies. It's like natural built in economics. So how do they try and convince you to you know work with them? I mean, you know, as a profitable company, you know, when I meet uh, any private equity investor, they're very interested, like you said, right? Because it's kind of a sweet spot, size, scale, profitability. So, you know, a lot of the problem solving has already been done, right? The question is, uh, how much value can you extract all by on your own versus teaming up with the private equity, right? So we believe, you know, we can extract a lot of value and then continue to serve our customers better by just being standalone. Yeah. Would you ever kind of the same reason you bought in Mike and Sequoia, would you ever do it, you know, call it a billion dollar secondary just to get Vista a little piece of the thing, sweeten it up or no, you don't see them as, as strategic? Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll do it if there is a good reason, right? A good reason could be, you know, let's say we want to acquire someone in the space that's interesting and it's going to cost a lot of money. Let's say it's going to cost 300, 400 million, right? So then it's a great thing to partner up with someone like Vista or, you know, the other private equity players allow them to be part of the you know investment family and then grow the company together. If you are a betting man, not that you have any insider information or anything, will we see a 300 or 400 million dollar acquisition from 24/7 AI in the next 12 months? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. Last question on profitability. You mentioned you're kind of in the sweet spot, problems are already solved. Are you talking like 20% bottom line or more? Bottom line, uh, steady state will get to 20%. We are not there yet. We are at about 10%. Okay. And what will get you to 20? Obviously, you're not going to cut costs or cut in the bone. What will get you to 20? We're looking for a great year of growth this year. When we talk, you know, sometime this month, next year, you'll know the full story. Oh, good. So you don't hate me. You're going to come back on in a year. We'll have a lot of fun. Exactly. That means I did my job. All right, PV, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? My favorite business book is actually, uh, what's the Tom Peters book that came out in the 90s? Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore. I like that book. I really like that book. I also (laughs) like the, uh, you know, the Innovators uh, Dilemma. Dilemma. So it's a a very interesting book. Yeah, those are all good classics. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, I admire both Jeff Bezos and Mark Benioff. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building your company? We use, um, you know, messaging a lot internally. So currently we use Slack to collaborate globally. 
So it's a good tool. PV number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I get about seven and a half hours. And situation, married, single kids? I'm married and I have three kids. Three kiddos. And how old are you? I'm 52. 50. And what's your social security number? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Last question. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? I always think that I delay decisions, you know, in, when it comes to people, having the courage to execute faster on people and move on when, you know, you've reached a scale of growth and they're not supporting the business anymore. Guys, 24-7 AI, north of $300 million in ARR, flat year over year because they dealt with a cybersecurity kind of a breach issue. But again, well on track now to drive growth. They are profitable, only $20 million raised to date, which is obviously great, taking 10% in free cash to the bottom line, helping to grow that to 20% monthly in terms of profitability here shortly. 10% churn annually on a gross revenue basis, but 10% expansion for 100% net, spending up to call it 12 months of first year contract value to get the customer in the first place as they look to scale with our team of 800, again, in the chat and customer experience space. PB, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.